Welcome to the Super Jump Podcast. I'm your host, as usually, Mitchell Farley Wolf, and I'm here with, as usual, co host, editor at large of the Super Jump Magazine, Wyatt Donigan. Hey, Wyatt, how's it going? Pretty good, pretty good. How about you? It's, uh, it, it's, it's pretty fine. It's pretty okay. This is, of course, the Super Jump Podcast, the video game news type discussion slash generalist niche podcast that we do you know the one if you're listening now it's only because you've listened to other episodes which is what our numbers tell us our growth has been stagnant uh <laughs> meanwhile though uh this is episode 325 and we are excited to get into our regular segment starting of course with the playtime report so, recently I've been playing the demo for Dragon Quest XI-S, which is on the Switch eShop. Um, it took me, front to back, 7 hours and 20 minutes to get through this demo. Um, That's a good-sized demo. Well, it's a good-sized demo, but more than that, it is just the beginning of the game. Um, and it has an artificial checkpoint somewhere um, a- along the way that does not let you pass in the demo but it, it is clear that that's the full game and mm-hmm. i've i've been pretty pretty happy with what i've seen so far um it doesn't look as good as the game looks on other systems uh, on the ps4 the game looks like really good and, and here there are some low resolution jaggedies on the edges of some some models and that's mm-hmm. um kind of what you expect with switch ports i don't know how nintendo themselves get away with not doing that they really don't seem to have that issue uh, but on third-party games you do see that a lot yeah it's like nintendo has some secret method that they use to kind of make things look a little bit more crisp yeah like the, the game doesn't seem more low res than breath of the wild or or low more low poly than breath of the wild but at the same time mm. breath of the wild does something to, to prevent that from happening and it's cell shaded which usually would lend more to that problem because the edges of, of shapes are so definitive and uh if they don't line up with the pixels they can look weird um yeah but, yeah, I don't, I don't know why that happens, um, but it, but it did. It, it's fine though, especially if you play it in portable mode, which I have been mostly for this specific experience. It, it works really well in portable mode, um, and, and the music is great, which is not how I felt about the Dragon Quest XI soundtrack uh, before. I'm usually not like <laughs> such a stickler for MIDI sounds versus other, you know, more orchestrated types of recordings. I'm, I'm. I think that both both things can have their merits. The Dragon Quest Eleven soundtrack in MIDI on on the PlayStation Four and PC versions of the game are terrible. Like that, <laughs> they really aren't good. And the, this uh, this orchestrated soundtrack version of the game makes them quite a lot better. They are much more stomachable. Uh, Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's that's that. I I wanted to talk a little bit about like. What do you think the effectiveness of having that demo just be the first seven hours of the game is? Is, is do you think that's a good thing? Like, will that work out well for them? There, there's some studies out there which kind of led to the destruction of of prevalent demos being available for pretty much every game. 
uh, and th- those studies basically concluded games with demos do poorer. And maybe part of it is because one of the biggest cards you have in your hand for selling a game is the idea that this game is new and you've not played it yet, so it's novel. And if you let someone play it, they're like, well, I can either buy this other game that I've never played or this other game that I know I like, but I do, I have played it already, so it's a little less exciting. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, it, it's interesting that, that the study would find, because I would think that games with demos would lead to higher sales because in my experience whenever like back in the the glory days of actual like demo discs for like ps2 you know and and xbox i used to come with magazines that was how i most games that are not i would say most but a lot of games that i that i played during the ps2 era some of them were ones that i would have never bought um if i hadn't played the demo especially because you know with i forget what magazine like a bunch of different magazines used to give demo discs. And so, like, you would you would play the demo not really because you cared, but because it was a, a game to try out. So you're just like, ah, sure, I have the demo. I yeah. might as well play this. Like, I remember uh, Final Fantasy X-2. Like, I'd never played a Final Fantasy game before, but they had a demo for that, and I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. Um, and it led me to actually buy the game. I never actually finished it because I've never finished a Final Fantasy game in my life. But... Um, but I bought the game, so they got a sale out of me. So it's interesting that the studies would find the opposite to be true. Um, but I also think that maybe because demos aren't that, uh, demos are very rare nowadays. So I feel like maybe something like this Dragon Quest, it actually could, you know, kind of buck the trend of those, um, studies and actually lead to higher sales because, you're like, hey, I don't see demos a lot, so I'll try this. And especially since you get such a large chunk, and I'm pretty sure I read you you can transfer your save into the game because that would be yes. criminal to make you pay to play seven hours of the game over again. And that seems to be a, a, a Square Enix staple for their demos. They yeah. did the same thing for Bravely Default on the 3DS a number of years ago. Um, I remember that, just, yeah. Just last year they did the same thing for Octopath Traveler. And... Mm. Um, with those games, though, actually Octopath Traveler, it might have been, but with, with with Bravely Default for sure, that the demo was a separate experience that you forwarded your like EXP and items to the main game, but it was like a different story. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah. And, and whereas this thing is like just the beginning of the game, it's just it's just reading the first chapter of the book. Um, w- weirdly, though, there were several points where I thought okay, this, this is a logical story beat where there's a bit of a cliffhanger, but I did just accomplish something. The demo's going to end here, and it didn't. And, uh, <laughs> like, there was one bit where it's, like, really close to the beginning of the game. I, I guess I won't spoil the, it, the specifics of what happens for what if people still want to play this demo, which I would recommend you mm-hmm. do. Um, but there, there's a point where you jump off a waterfall, and then the... Um, the, the logo of the game appears and there's like an intro cinematic. And I thought, okay, this intro cinematic is me seeing the end of the demo. Like that was what's going to happen yeah. on uh, when I reach the, the bottom of this waterfall. Am I going to die? What's, what's up? 
Um, that would make sense. <laughs> that was a couple hours into the demo already, so I thought, a couple hours, that's good for a demo, great. Um, yeah. And it wasn't there. And then there was another bit where I... I uh, I saved someone important, I'll say. And <laughs> then they, they like, just rejoiced about that in, in the story of the game. They, they revealed some information. And then it faded to black. And I'm like, okay, that makes sense. They wanted me to feel a little bit more story. And then it didn't end. And then, like, between that and the next thing, I was just walking along the route. And there was an invisible wall in that route where I touched the wall. And they said, <laughs> now. Now the demo ends. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's just like there are so many places where they could have done it yeah there are so many places where they could have done it and I, I wonder if they if they actually thought about it in terms of like cliffhangers it would be less effective because this now is just like okay well what's in the next oh oh i ooh, i can't even i can't even do the next thing i can't even start it so it, yeah. it's like uh, now and i'm very interested to see what happens next in that story and i i want to i want to follow that up more I guess it worked. I guess it worked with that. Yeah, I was gonna say maybe that's that was kind of their their goal because if you end it with a cliffhanger, you're just kind of like, oh, okay. Well, now I know this is a cliffhanger. But if they end it or if they let you go past a cliffhanger and then you know you're just walking along, you run into a wall, then you're just like, wait, but but I have to I have to play more. I have to figure it out. <laughs> yeah. And then so I feel like it might be you know a somewhat effective tactic. Yeah, it, it's it's interesting. I wonder if demos for story games or or more narratively focused games, like Dragon Quest definitely is, work better yeah. specifically because the part of the game you still want to play is the story, and the the story is is not yet told to you. Uh, versus something like th there was this there was this Sonic demo. I, I think for Sonic Unleashed. Um, and I played that demo so many times. I just, I just that one level in the game. I, I liked that <laughs> level, which was weird for a Sonic game. Uh, and I've later played the full game of Sonic Unleashed at a friend's house, and I, I didn't enjoy it at all. But just that first demo was a fun <laughs> thing to do. That first level, and that was not a story focused game it there was a story but uh that was more a mechanically focused game where the level's the point of yeah. it um and you gave that to me already in the demo so so maybe th there is you, you got to be really careful about like what you give away in a demo it can't be too much yeah exactly or if it's like you know if it's you know a racing game or something like that you might have bought the full game but if you played the demo and you know played it you know, six, seven times because you're, you were waiting for the game. You're like, okay, well, I've played a lot of this now. I think I'm okay. Like I've got my fill. So I, I definitely think that for a story game, it's probably more effective because like you said, you're looking for the story, not necessarily the gameplay alone. Yeah. Um, it, 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 you're caught in a, a weird struggle there then, because like if you're doing a non-story based game and you want to do a demo, you don't want to give them a full level, I guess, because that's, like, the point of it. But if you don't, you're doing a really poor representation of what the game's eventually going to be, and that could be called dishonest. Um, yeah. I guess at that point, you just you just don't, right? I guess that's why we're not seeing as many demos. You, I, I wouldn't do it, I, I guess. 
Yeah, I mean, it, that, that definitely probably could have led to kind of why demos sort of fell by the wayside. Because, I mean, even when, after, you know, when, when, when the generations of consoles transitioned and magazines weren't as big of a thing, there were still lots of games that you could get demos for on, you know, Xbox Live or on the PSN. But then after a while, like, companies just stopped doing them, period. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, but you've been playing a game called Pokemon Masters that I've had a lot of my friends message me about asking for my take specifically. And I don't think I've, like, developed a really good take yet. I, <laughs> I It, it seems... It, I've, I've played it as well. It, it seems like a game that's rife for a, for a good old hot take. And I, I don't yep. have one. I don't know how to make it. So, do you have one? So, okay, Pokemon Masters, like, I'm, I'm sort of the, the, the contingent of gamers that Blizzard was hoping to talk to with the whole like, you guys all have phones, right? Like, because I love mobile <laughs> games. Like, yeah. I, you know, unapologetically, like, I know a lot of people don't really like mobile games. They hate the time gating and the monetization, all that kind of stuff. But like. I love it. Like, I, I love playing, you know, games on my phone. So, when I heard that Pokemon Masters was coming out, I was super excited for it. And, you know, so when it came out the other day, I started playing it. And, and I will say, it's a very fun game. It's a unique take on Pokemon because it's basically like a real-time battle kind of thing. Um, similar to kind of like a Final Fantasy VII uh, battle system. You know, versus the normal turn-based, like, okay, I attack you, you attack me. You know, it's a 3v3, and you're moving between all three of your Pokemon to attack the other three. And, you know, you can interrupt attacks, and there's buffs you can give, and you have to manage, you know, health and all that kind of stuff. So there, so it's a definitely a different take, um, and it's fun. And, and, you know, there's a story in it and all that kind of stuff. But there... There's one specific portion of the game where I could see people getting very turned off. And it almost turned me off. But I decided to just keep playing. And I'm glad that I did. But, so, you know, this type of game is sort of... It falls under the category of the the gotcha type games. Um, and that's, you know, basically there's units that will come out that they want you to spend your gems on to buy them. Because every time they release new ones, they're going to be better than the previous ones. Yeah. So you're basically incentivized to continue buying things. You know, there's Fate Grand Order, Fire Emblem Heroes, Dragon Ball Legends, Dragon Ball Dokkan Battle. You know, all those Grand Blue Fantasy in Japan. Like, there's a ton of these types of games, you know. So there's... And I have played a lot of them. Um, and But one thing that sets Pokemon Masters apart in a bad way is... So, of course, you get free gems. You know, they, they throw gems at you in the beginning of the game because, you know, there's a, there's the you know, welcome packs and there's the the launch, you know, special that they're doing where they're like, all right, yeah, here's yeah, some yeah. gems. And then as a part of that, they'll have a thing where they're like, here's some, like, there's a, there's a daily, um, uh, there's a daily discounted pull that you can do. Where I think a normally one pull is 300 gems, um, which is the equivalent of like $3. Um, and then the discounted one is 100 gems. 
So, you know, I, I immediately, I was given like 200 gems or something right out the gate. So I was like, all right, cool. Like I'll use it for my discounted one and we'll see what happens. But when I click it, they, they make a distinction between your paid gems and your non-paid gems. And the only way to utilize the daily uh, discount is by using paid gems. So even though they give you gems for free, you can't use them for this particular discount. You have right. to spend money on it. It's and it's really wild that they would ever do this because yeah, like you, I've never like I've, I all these games I mentioned, none of them do that. Like I've never seen this in this type of game. I I uh, I, I saw the deal where it, it was around three hundred gems, I think, for yeah. the um, ten. What what are called uh, sync pairs, which are basically a Pokemon trainer, which is usually like a famous Pokemon trainer, a gym leader, or an Elite Four member, or yeah. a player character, or something like that, and uh, their partner Pokemon. And th- these are cool things. You want them? I I think they're 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 um, a really cool aspect of Pokemon, the human characters that Pokemon mm-hmm. games have not focused on so much in the past. Uh, yeah. So so that is the draw of the game, and you get ten of them. With this one deal, if you do, if you have three hundred gems, and three hundred gems is not a lot to ask for that, because normally, the 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 non-deal version of this deal is three thousand gems for that for that many characters. Yeah. So it's it's a, it's a a tenth of what you would normally pay. Great. That's a, that's a wonderful way to invite people into the game, but just. Like, I, I tried to do this because I didn't see the fine print there. And it said, yeah, would same. you like to add uh, that that many gems with, with real world cash? And I'm like, wait, hang on. I almost did it because I didn't realize what it was asking. It, it's really underhanded. Yeah, <laughs> yeah um, no, it, it's real, it, It's wild. Like, it, it's especially because that particular one, you get like a guaranteed five star, um, which is normally, I think, five stars have like a 7% pull rate or something so so you're like it's something that you're you're incentivized to do because if you do a normal pull of 10 you're not guaranteed to get you know a five star like you you have a greater chance just because you're buying more but there's no like guarantee whereas this one they're like hey we're gonna for sure you will get a five star yeah but you have to spend money on it and it's just kind of like you know like i understand that the point of these games is to you know to spend money because eventually you know the the launch uh, celebration will go away. The weekly, you know, or the daily gem things will your daily stuff will be items and not gems. So like I understand that eventually you're gonna run into a point where you're gonna be incentivized to spend money, but right out the gate and then for these promotions that are usually like a good thing because normally what you do in these games is like I I I play Dragon Ball Legends, which is a similar version and uh every time a new banner comes out so every time they introduce like you know six or seven new um characters everybody says you know just just save your gems save your gems and you get gems for playing missions and all that kind of stuff so usually people will buy a couple packs at the start with whatever saved up gems they have and then they'll save for the next couple months so that way when the next one rolls around they'll just you know use it to buy stuff but with this it's almost like you're not going to really be able to do that because, I mean, you can, but you're not going to be able to get whatever special deal it is that they want you to do. So it just feels, 
I don't know. It feels a little more scummy to me than, like, I mean, people will, I'm sure somebody out there is like, well, mobile games are always scummy. And I'm like, oh, that might be true, but this one just feels a little bit more so, in my opinion. <laughs> I, I, I don't agree that mobile games are always scummy. Uh, you know, the, well, yeah, I, I don't either. And on a good day, mobile games feel a lot like PC gaming in the early or mid-90s, where it, it's it's usually really small stuff, usually things that you play for free, although that wasn't the design of the games in the mid-90s. That was just <laughs> some don't copy that floppy action. Um, yeah. <laughs> the, and, and they can be made by pretty much anyone. They, they take a lot less um, programming know-how to make than mm -hmm. modern console games. And even some modern PC games, because now PC... Um, is thought of as a stronger version of a console where where in the 90s it was kind of the opposite the console's the dedicated thing for games so it does the games the best where the pc yeah. can do games kind of um it, with, with some exceptions of course of you know technological achievements like doom yeah. and quake and all that but that that's that's all mobile games have to be this extra monetization on top of it is uh, a purely optional <laughs> diversion uh, <laughs> that Pokemon, man, Pokemon and Nintendo both, but really Pokemon, um, seem to want to lean into hardcore. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, just this year they've released, I think, three different mobile games. Have they? That Yeah. Yeah, because there's Pokemon right. Masters, and then two weeks, like, I think a month ago, there was Pokemon something pokemon rumble where you're like running around oh yeah 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 an island and then there was like pixel quest i think the pixel one was maybe like a year ago um but but within the last month they've released two different mobile games and that's on top of you know the money cow that is pokemon go um so it's like yeah they've really leaned into this whole realm of gaming and it seems to have worked out for them because i'm sure they're making a lot of money because people people are spending tons of money on this stuff but it's uh i don't know it's a little bit interesting though yeah i i i think it's just clear that this is a weird time for pokemon i wonder if it's sustainable i wonder if this is just like so lucrative that it they'll never do anything else but I, I also wonder, like, how, how long can you keep goodwill? Like, how long can you really make a, a special childhood experience that people will remember forever? Because I remember there's, mm -hmm. there's a lot of things I loved as a kid that I didn't carry forward with me. And now that I think back to them, they were, like, kind of cheap toy tie-in cartoons or something like yeah. that. Or, or like, weird trading card games that, that didn't really make an effort to be anything other than, you know, like, try your luck at this random pack. It, it costs $5. Let's see how it goes. Um, yeah. And and that is not too different from what mobile games are today. They're, they're just now video mm -hmm. games where, where that was kind of outside of video games at the time. And the things that really stuck with me are, are things that I f now recognize to be generous experiences. Uh, and I think the Pokemon game and show were for sure that, um, e even though it's clearly designed around making money, you know, it's Pokemon, it's like the, the poster child for that. But, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, that, 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 that didn't need to be the only thing that it did. Um, 
long games, big games, games that like are kind of just singular purchases, even though it it really doesn't matter technically if, if you purchase a game in, in many parts or one part, but the way that that purchase can manifest itself as being some sort of dividing factor within the game can i think fracture an otherwise great experience mm-hmm. in, into a lot of different maybe unfixable broken pieces uh, yeah yeah i not not to be too down on this you know it's a, no, it's of a course, fun yeah, game yeah, yeah. i mean you know it is like honestly it is a fun game like if you can look past that and if you don't care about you know because you can play the story with you don't need whatever on whatever s tier you know character there is like you don't need that to play the story if that's all you want to do yeah um, and i'm and sure there's tons really of people even... out there that are just like i want sabrina i i like sabrina and alakazam let's do that i want that character and then you, you, yeah. she's in there you um, you can find her i well actually mm-hmm. i don't know for sure if she's in there i i maybe she isn't but yeah know, i'm not sure probably is um it your favorite Pokemon character is in there, and if that's all you care about, that's all that that really matters to this. Um, it, it it's fine, and the gameplay is like not super engrossing. In fact, if it was a console game, I think more people would probably be pretty hard on it. But it's oh yeah, it's yeah for sure. It's fine enough. There's an auto play button, so you don't need to actually play the game. Yeah, exactly. You could just push it and then just sit there. Yeah. And there's not a whole lot of room for strategy that would make you actually playing it better than the autoplay. But yeah, exactly. But yeah. Um, real quick, and then we'll dive into the next segment. You've also been playing more Tekken 7. Yeah, so I wrote Tekken 7, but I, I forgot that I actually started. I'll be doing an, an article series on Super Jump um, where I'm going to play through every Tekken game um, Ooh, okay. from the first one. So I played uh, last weekend, I played through. The original Tekken um, on PlayStation, and it was an experience. It, it was uh, I've never <clears throat> I've never played the original ones before. I think my first Tekken was Tekken Five, um, or it might have been Tekken Tag, but one of the but basically like I didn't really play until the PS2 era, so I've never played any of these PlayStation era um, Tekkens, and uh, it was definitely an experience. I should be finishing the article sometime this week, so that'll be up on Super Jump um, pretty. Hopefully by the time you listen to this, I think I'll have this, I'll have it done. But uh, it's been quite the experience because it's weird how it feels like Tekken because like the gameplay itself has, hasn't changed a ton, which is also kind of fascinating that a lot of these characters, like you can play them in Tekken 7 and they have some of the same moves that they've had in the original Tekken that came out, you know, 25 years ago. And if you play it, you can still play the characters in the same way. But it just looks and sounds way different. Um, but yeah, it's definitely been been a fun experience. I'm excited to to get through the rest of the series. That sounds really cool. Everyone, look out for that on uh, SuperJumpMagazine.com. That'll that'll probably, as you said, be up there by the time this uh, episode comes out. But I don't want to put a schedule on either of us. <laughs> so, on yeah. That. Right. <laughs> so who knows? Uh, our next segment is. The newsy nibble into a delicious Jack Skellington themed edible pair of panties at Hot Topic. <laughs> oh man, I miss those. <laughs> yeah, that's right, it's back. <laughs> Hot Topic. 
Uh, it's a little news-oriented. It's got some news, news-ish things in it, but this is a hot topic, baby, just like before. Studio acquisitions is the hot topic of the day. There have been a lot of them recently. Over the last two years, Microsoft has uh, acquired Playground Games, which was kind of an understandable acquisition. They've been making the Forza series, and Forza has been one of Microsoft's premier IP just below, like, Gears and Halo. So that partnership, or, or they've specifically been making Forza Horizon. We've gotten a correction on that before. Not all of the Forza games. Uh, so that made sense. That that felt like a tonally complete acquisition but then also ninja theory double fine obsidian and other game studios like that um all of those things ninja theory and and double fine especially have gone on record many times in the in the past about how fiercely independent they are and how they uh ninja theory especially has specifically outlined this this plan that they've had about how big AAA games don't need to be made by big AAA studios. With a smaller budget and even a smaller team, you can do the same thing if you manage yourself well. That was their whole thing, and they, they got a lot of positive press from that, uh, from, from outlining that, that plan and that idea. And then I think like a year after they said that, that was they're part of Microsoft now, the fourth largest company in the world. Um on the other side of the console war, Sony purchased Insomniac. That also made tonal sense like Playground, but like Ninja Theory, Insomniac has also gone on record saying how fiercely independent they are uh, mm-hmm. and and how they, they always value their independence. And they, they've done deals with... Uh, they, they developed a game that was published by EA. They developed a game that was published by uh, by Xbox, they, which was uh, Sunset Overdrive. And I believe they retained the IP for that now. So now Sony has Sunset Overdrive. They just don't have that game. They have the brand, mm-hmm. I guess. So they could make a sequel if they want. Um, and, and that's pretty crazy that they would actually do that because... I wonder if, if Sony only bought Insomniac because they felt like if they didn't, maybe Microsoft would. <laughs> uh, I mean, honestly, yeah. I, I wouldn't be surprised because especially like you said, like a couple of years ago, I can remember at that E3, Microsoft was like, look at all of these studios we have now. And it just kind of snowballed from there. And Sony probably was just like, ooh, let, let's snatch up a couple of those for ourselves, you know, so that way we don't end up left out in the cold. Yeah, they Sony is not a big acquisition heavy company. They recently did one for a um, a, a sound based, an audio based technology company that I forget the name of, uh, but it, it was like a big deal within the world of uh, sound cards on consoles. And I, I believe the, the Xbox One has a card, a, like a sound card, made by this company that now Sony owns. Um, and, and that was a big deal, but that was also just more of a tech thing and a, a lot less of like the creative development side of, of the games industry. This is this is one of those big things. Um, I'm sure they're going to push Spider-Man more. I'm sure um, maybe Ratchet and Clank can have a renaissance. I don't think Sunset Overdrive will have any kind of renaissance, <laughs> but uh, but sure, yeah. Um, 
nearly two years ago in another big company, uh, EA purchased Respawn, which has now made Apex Legends and is working on Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. Um, probably one of the better purchases EA has made. Um, I, I think Bioware worked out for them for a while and then dried up. I don't know how well DICE is doing, um, but, but Respawn seems to be a, a really good aspect of EA right now. Even just from yeah, like the consumer end of things. Uh, Apex Legends seems fine, and uh, like it, it's a good way to use a very talented studio, I suppose. Yeah. Um, th- th- there's, there's so many other examples of, of things within the last few years. Uh, THQ Nordic, who uh, acquired THQ in 2013 and went from Nordic Games to THQ Nordic, um, has kind of developed their entire company structure off the idea of purchasing maybe like double A level games, not not triple A mm-hmm. level, but like a ton tons of different things. Like we're seeing uh, uh, Crisis and Time Splitters and, and Darksiders and and stuff like that coming from THQ Nordic and, and partnerships with things like Nickelodeon for the uh, there, there's a remake of that like GameCube era SpongeBob 3D platformer coming out from THQ Nordic. Uh, or maybe mm-hmm. that's already out. I, I'm actually excited for that. I'd like to play that again. Um, yeah, that actually does look kind of fun. Yeah. And and then finally, this is the most recent thing. This is not exactly an acquisition, but a, a pair of venture capitalists have resurrected Telltale Games with the intent of building the company back up. This has been a pretty controversial move, considering the fact that Telltale Games is really only back in name. The two people that are that are that bought it and are like building it up were, never worked at Telltale. They just appreciated that what they could have done with the company could have gone on longer. And the, I think that they've they've put out a public statement basically saying that the downfall of telltale was avoidable and they don't intend to repeat the same mistakes which is nice to hear um Mm -hmm. but all of those former employees of telltale do not work at this company a lot of them have been hired on as contractors which is i think an insult to injury like we're bringing back telltale games it's the big hype hurrah moment and then like you if you worked at telltale games you get maybe a contract deal out of that that's that's rough um but but that is that is what's happening there um a lot of basically the theme of this the theme of all these disparate stories is that double a or single a whatever you want to call them developers and studios that were formerly their own companies or at least independent in in large ways are now by and large, owned by mega conglomerates. At the same time, we have a really healthy indie scene, uh, just new studios all, all the time. That that can be, you know, 2 to 15 people large at, at maximum even. Uh, mm. they're, they're doing fine. They, they Well, not always. And in fact, it, it, it's kind of like winning the lottery, making an a indie game that really catches on. But you can do well enough you know you 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 can have you have a a pretty decent chance for success if you make something that has a lot of uh 
appeal and, and you make something that appeals to a specific demographic. So really, the, the, the extremes of size in video game development have gotten further and further away from each other, and the gap in the middle has been become uh, in, much less populated. How before we get into anything else about that, just how do you feel about that in and of itself? I mean, it it feels kind of weird um, because, like you said, you know, these are companies that have said or or have prided themselves on their independence, but at the same time, it just kind of feels like that's just the direction that everything is heading. Like it it feels like at this point, it's inevitable yeah. that these big conglomerates are going to own all of these small developers. And I guess it's not really necessarily a bad thing as long as the conglomerates aren't impressing or imposing their will too much. Like as long as they can like double find insomniac, you know, respawn as long as they're able to do their own thing still like, yeah, they're under this umbrella, but if they can still operate, in the same manner as they would if they were completely independent, I guess it's fine. Um, it, it's just, it's like I said, it's, it's a weird thing to see just kind of how things have shifted. Whereas, you know, cause back in the day, Microsoft, Sony, they had, you know, a handful of major uh, like first party titles that they would, yeah. you know, that they developed. And then everything else was made by everyone else. You know, there were all of these other companies that made games. And, but now Microsoft and Sony have, have just become the end all be all for all of their own games, which I mean, for them, I guess they want to, you know, they can have more control over things, but it's just, it's, it's weird looking at how things look now versus how they looked even, you know, 10 years ago. Yeah. It, it's, it's, um, it, it's weird like this you know like it it, it makes me wonder it, is it good for these studios to have more security and they definitely do um mm -hmm. we, we've seen how easily a company can fold just completely if it has bad management and we've seen that um kind of kind of slowly over time with the original thq mm -hmm. that happened uh, we've seen that very quickly and very tragically with the original Telltale games that happened. Yeah. Um, and if you if you don't have any kind of major stakes ownership of of people with a lot of experience, not just in this specific video game industry, but um, in, in industries in general, you know, Nintendo's over a hundred years old. Uh, Microsoft has so much tech experience sony's done a lot of different things before they did video games um and, and uh I, th I think even ea has some weird history that i don't i don't care enough about ea to know but <laughs> but <laughs> i don't think anyone does no one no one knows <laughs> that company just <laughs> became into existence and we were all like yeah that makes sense <laughs> man i'm someday i'm gonna have to apologize <laughs> on this show so i can secure my future employment at ea um but <laughs> i it, it makes me it makes me nervous it makes me really nervous yeah. um because i i am a, a prospective future game developer i would like to someday see myself within 
uh, a, a video game studio, wh- whether it be indie size or or AAA. I I don't really have too many feelings on either way because I haven't really been given an opportunity to do anything like that yet. So I I don't know what to mm-hmm. compare it to, but the one that would seem the best for someone that's just like if if you're a kid and you're 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 like being told hey one day you could make video games you're probably not going to try to work at the biggest company in the world just automatically and you're probably not going to try to be a starving artist type because you know that has less money in it why would you do that uh so you would probably want to go and to something like what obsidian was or what insomniac was or what double fine was um mm-hmm. or what telltale was and the the options are gone like i can think of yeah. a few off the top of my head um that still exist japan has platinum games that i think is around that kind of size we're talking about um, but that's mm. in japan in america maybe toys for bob like that might yeah. be it. And even then, the, they, they're they firmly partnered with Activision on a lot of stuff. So I, d- I don't know if they're even 100% independent. Um, although they are legally not owned by anyone. It, it's it's a weird it's a weird thing. And I, I wonder if when this like structure starts to occur, that could be seen as a bad omen for the industry in general. Uh, although I do want to insist i don't think it's wrong for microsoft to want to try to bolster their first party lineup uh and, and make the xbox uh, um maybe a more desirable pla- desirable place to go uh if they just dipped out of, of the console war i think that'd be worse because then it would just be sony and nintendo and that's you know i i don't think a, a near monopoly like that is is better for consumers uh, and I think it's yeah, good for the people that are being bought. Like, Double Fine has a history of games that take too much time and too much money and don't make enough money when they come out. And it, th- that's despite the fact that they're usually reviewed pretty positively. Uh, Obsidian is the same. Like, they don't they don't have a huge history of games that do really, really well. Um, so I, I think they're, they're kind of at home with Microsoft in, in that way. Um, but I, but I don't know about all this other stuff and I, I don't know if the near erasure of this size of studio is good at all. It seems very troubling. Yeah. I mean, cause like you said, if, you know, cause at a certain point you want, you want people to continue wanting to make games. Like you want people like you to, to, to have the desire to go into this industry but if all roads lead to being owned by a conglomerate, like that could turn a lot of people off. Like there could be a lot of people who would want to just do their own thing, but don't want to, you know, be consumed like that. And sure, there's a possibility that they may not be, but it just seems like it's getting to the point where all roads are going to lead to being part of one of these, you know, big companies. And it's just kind of a, it's a, you know, it's a worrying trend because you're just like, okay, at what point do we allow these people to continue having, you know, full independence, full autonomy, and, and not really being owned by a mega, you know, conglomeration like Microsoft or Sony? Yeah, I, it, yeah, I mean, 
there's there's also the bit about how a lot of these companies specifically expressed how they wanted to be independent and now um not not only are they being bought it seems like they're they're being bought and they're really happy about it like do we think that when they were saying that that was maybe just more of a well we currently are independent so we have to say that so we seem positive about ourselves or does it seem more like they they weren't correct about that or or maybe they're being told to say that by on high which i think is maybe the most likely option but I, like i don't know it, yeah. it seems very strange that they're just you know currently fine with what was originally something that seemed antithetical to their um their their whole company mantra yeah or i mean or it even could be a thing of you know when they when they got in they loved being independent and, you know, they really pride themselves on that. But then after, uh, you know, after developing a few games or what have you, they just kind of got hit heavy by the industry. And they were like, okay, well, now we need some extra help. So, you know, they got bought out and now they're in a better position. So now they're like, okay, well, I guess, you know, we're okay with this now. So it might be a situation of, you know, they were fine being independent, but then things just kind of, happened and snowballed and now you know they they needed the extra help or or what have you and so now they're just it was a more of a necessity where they're like oh we needed to you know we needed this buyout or, or something like that yeah it, it it also makes me wonder like if you're if you're a triple a company right now that hasn't been interested in this trend um like i i don't think Nintendo's done this so much. Uh, they, they really aren't buying up studios all the time, right? Um, yeah. I, I don't think Activision Blizzard is doing it so much. Uh, Activision kind of does this with a lot of like the, the various Call of Duty developers, um, but a lot of them maintain their, their fiscal independence, sort of. And, I mean, I guess that's that. Um, if, if you're one of those guys... Should you be looking into this as as a as a way to bolster your library, or should you just kind of let the other big dogs have this? Like, if you were in this position, would you try to also buy smaller companies? Is is what I'm saying, on on a rate that these big guys are buying, and of the level of quality of the company that these big dogs are buying. I mean, I guess it just depends on you know whether they want to fall in line with you know the other big dogs if they kind of want to continue blazing their own trail um so you know because it's a weird thing i guess it's like if it gets to a point where literally everyone is buying up these companies and it's almost like your hand is forced but yeah if you can if you can get away with not doing it as long as possible like maybe that's the route to go like if, if you're okay with this for now but maybe like maybe we have to do that in five years but maybe not right now so we'll just chill we'll just sit on this for a bit you know yeah like if i was if i was nintendo i would be i would be really worried that square enix would try to buy platinum or or something like that um Mm -hmm. after seeing this this movement and i you know just despite me as as a consumer and and critic of this policy as, as i've been in this episode so far if I if it was my job to secure the library of, of a whole company like that, 
especially Nintendo, who prides itself on this re reusable returning library of, of intellectual property that you can use in things like Smash Bros. and just like whip out, like, hey, we're bringing Kid Icarus back and like everyone gets excited about it. Um, I would try to buy Platinum immediately. Like that, that is what I would do yeah, right true. now. Yeah. I would try to buy Game Freak immediately, even though they've like had a weird working relationship for over 20 years where they've made the most profitable media franchise of all time and they've never really tried a hostile takeover, I would try that hostile takeover. Like, I, I would, yeah. I would <laughs> at this point, even though they've got to be incredibly expensive, Game Freak, oh my god, they need to be so expensive right now. Oh, um, I'm sure. You know, if you look at how much some of these other companies have sold, sold for, yeah. and like you said, like, Pokemon is literally, like, the biggest franchise yeah. in the world of all time, so, you know. And I guess with with Game Freak, it's almost like a thing where they almost probably feel like they don't have to, or they feel as that they don't have to even try and buy them yeah, because yeah. they sort of have this uh, this symbiotic relationship with each other. Because you know all of these Pokemon games have always been on Nintendo platforms, so it's like maybe they feel like that's one company where like okay let's not worry about this one. Like, we don't have to worry about that. Whereas, like you said, something like a Platinum Games, um, especially with... is Because they made Astral Chain too, right? Yeah, they made Astral Chain, but the IP for yeah. Astral Chain, I believe Nintendo owns. Um, so, oh, that's true. So if that's they true. wanted okay. to... if I guess if Nintendo wanted to kind of go behind Platinum's back and make their own Astral Chain sequel, they could. Um, but, you know, I don't. I don't think they ever would. Yeah, and that probably that probably wouldn't be received very well by fans. No, no, no. <laughs> Especially with as good as reviews I've seen that Astral Chain has gotten so far. Yeah, that's really pleasantly surprising. I kind of thought that would be like a like an eighty on Metacritic tops, but it it seems to be mm -hmm. pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, the thing the thing with like Game Freak, it, it you're mm -hmm. right, and at this point, if I were to only judge what's going to happen in the future as a reflection of what's happened in the past. I would not think Game Freak is super important to buy because Nintendo's gotten everything they've ever wanted out of that deal. They get tons of money yeah. on every Pokemon thing still. Um, and they have a lot of controlling power over Game Freak because they, A, they publish all of the Pokemon games on console. And uh, B, I believe they have a number of seats on the Game Freak, uh, like... What what is that called? Not council. The better word for that. The board of directors. Yeah, board, like the board. Uh, they have a lot of yeah. board members. Nintendo employees are board members of Game Freak, and I th there's there's no actual public information on this, I believe. But I I think Nintendo owns something like, if not forty nine percent of Game Freak stock, something like that. Um, usually yeah, you try which, to get fifty one because yeah. fifty one is is like the least you can do and still control the entire company. Nintendo yeah. goes the other route. They do 49 in an effort to not have to buy the company while still mm -hmm. putting a lot of control over them. Uh, back in the 90s, they had 49% of the uh, stock in Rare because they thought, you know, it's similar to Pokemon. They, they thought Rare is making a lot of the, the best-selling Nintendo 64 games right now. Banjo-Kazooie, GoldenEye 007, mm -hmm. all that stuff. Uh, Donkey Kong Country, which was huge. And all of a sudden it can be taken away you know like yeah. even even if you have 49% of the stock if you're a big boy like microsoft was especially in the 90s um mm -hmm. 
you you can get 51% of that stock. You can get the other yeah. half uh plus some and it can work, which I would be incredibly scared of suddenly for things like Game Freak or for things like Platinum where I I think Platinum they've got like a similar relationship, you know. We get Bayonetta and Astral Chain out of Platinum and that's kind of all we want out of them. Um but maybe you just won't soon. And and maybe maybe for Nintendo that's like a, a negligible loss. They could say, oh, well, now we don't get Platinum, so we don't have Bayonetta on our console. But at the same time, Bayonetta is not the best-selling thing of all time. It was just kind of like a feather in our cap more than our actual cash cow. Maybe we can move effort somewhere else. I don't think they can do that with Pokemon, so. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Um, if I was one of these companies, I, I suppose... I, I, I've always thought about like what I would want to do if I could just like start a company right now and, and start a video game company and have it go. I would want to be in the position Obsidian was a couple years ago where um, Obsidian seemed to be making the most money off of regular partnerships with publishers. They very rarely published their own stuff. And they uh, basically were always going from, from contract to contract which it, it, uh, Jason Schreier, of course, writes about in Blood, Sweat, and Pixels. It can be extremely stressful. Um, that that can be that can be really hard. You never know when your next paycheck's coming. Well, I mean, you do, but like in a grand scale of years rather than months, right? It, it, next year, yeah. who are who are you working for? Will you will you uh, nail down a contract? You might not. You might not be able to. Um, but they they always seem to do a pretty good job on it. And if that worked out, if that was a bit more healthy, if there were a bit more licensees out there that wanted to do things like that, so you could always just have, well, in my back pocket, if we can't do something big, let's just do another South Park RPG. You could always have that going on. And and mm-hmm. that's that was Obsidian. Um, that's what I would want to do. But maybe that's just not valid. Maybe that's just not a valid thing to always have your your um you know your 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 structure be based on maybe that's always a little too risky and maybe we're seeing the the bubble burst on companies like that companies that were built like that yeah yeah it's just it's a like like i said it's just it's really interesting to see kind of how things are shifting and i'm curious to see how things are going to go within the next five years. Cause, I mean, like you said, with, it's only been two years since Microsoft started buying up so much. So who knows what things will look like two years from now. Yeah. There, there's also a thing that's just like every time a major company buys a, a smaller company, they, the return they get is I'm sure an educated guess, but it, it seems very random, right? Like yeah. Xbox puts a lot of money in, in the Xbox one era into exclusives from from companies they did not own but but uh, worked with closely, like Insomniac for Sunset Overdrive, and uh, I believe Comcept and another studio I can't remember the name of, for uh, what what is that? Recore, like a game a game like Recore, mm-hmm. things like that. Like those are the Xbox exclusives of the Xbox One era, and they all didn't do well. Like all of them. They all did not do well at all. Um, Crackdown 3, I believe, is made by a company that Xbox does not own. Um, what is what is that company? Uh, Crackdown. 
I don't wasn't okay. Now I need to look this up. I don't want to spread false information. Um, Crackdown three was made by. Hang on. Sumo Digital. Sumo yeah. Digital. Yeah. 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 And they they definitely aren't owned by. You know, Sumo Digital. Okay, that's a great example of of an exception to this. They are exactly this kind of thing that we're talking about. Um, they are very big still. Like, they're a sizable company. They've got 500-plus mm-hmm. employees, uh, which is, you know, a lot. But they're they're not, like, EA level. They're not Ubisoft level. Um, yeah. More things like Su- Sumo Digital. I hope I don't, like... <laughs> Next week we're going to talk about, well, Sumo Digital went bankrupt. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. Whoopee. Sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but for now it seems great. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and, and thing, things like that. I mean, I guess it didn't work out for Crackdown 3. And I guess it didn't work out super well for Sega for Team Sonic Racing. So, wow, actually, now that I think about it, there's a lot of things that's <laughs> digital that didn't like go super well. But, oh, man, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm going to end this segment. <laughs> Before we doom another company. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you can write into the podcast at podcast at superjumpmagazine.com. Let's head into our after-school activities. This week, I just want to recommend the TV show Twin Peaks. Uh, on, on social media, I've been seeing a weird resurgence of Twin Peaks hype for seemingly no reason. There, there was no announcement or anything of any, any new Twin Peaks stuff. I don't believe it came to a new streaming service or anything like that. But Twin Peaks is one of my favorite shows of all time, if not my favorite show. And it, it can be watched almost in its totality on Netflix. The first two seasons, which was the original run of the show, are on Netflix for sure. The movie Fire Walk With Me, which is absolutely important and part of it, uh, isn't. And the third season, which is the one that just happened recently, 25, after, 25 years after the original thing, um, was on Showtime. So now that I say that out loud, it's actually not anywhere at once. <laughs> you can't watch the whole show anywhere, <laughs> um, which is a bummer. But, man, it's it's worth doing. I think it's especially worth doing for fans of video games, because I, I've been thinking a lot uh recently about how protagonists work in video games versus how they work in tv shows and i think twin peaks is an ex like an exception to that where agent cooper the the protagonist works a lot more like a player character than a tv show protagonist where the the world is is based around his skills just like how the world of mario like the mushroom kingdom is based around the fact that mario can jump it's built for jumping um that's a weird non sequitur to go after this whole podcast about something else. So don't really think about it too hard. I just like Twin Peaks. Uh, go see <laughs> Twin Peaks. Um, so I figured I would uh, follow along with the TV show vibe because I recently watched a really good TV show um, called The Boys. I've been hearing it a lot of good on... stuff about this. <clears throat> yeah, so it's it's based on a uh, on a graphic novel. Um, and they Amazon or 
Amazon Prime. I don't, I don't know if it's Amazon or Amazon Prime, whatever they call their studio production people. Um, they did. This is another one of their their big titles that they released recently, um, and it's really good. Um, it's basically the boy there. It's a it's a world where superheroes exist and they're monetized. So. You know, there's a <clears throat> there's a shot that I thought was really cool. They're standing in Times Square, and all of the billboards are just all of the different heroes. Because there's action figures, there's comic books, they're even uh, used politically, um, and so they they're used to talk about different bills and laws that should be passed and all this kind of stuff. So it's it's a very interesting uh, world because you know we think of like in Avengers, obviously superheroes exist, but people feel very weird about them. And there's, you know, kind of like a tug and uh, a tug of war within society. But in this world of the boys, superheroes are very much embraced. And so it gives you a different look. And it's a it's a it's a mature look at superheroes as well, um, because it is like it's like a TVMA. So there's lots of, you know, it's it's real, too. It's not just kind of the the prototypical fantasy of like, okay, you know, these superheroes are always good and they never do anything bad because there's, you know, the superheroes in the show definitely do a lot bad and they tackle a lot of different issues that are very topical to today's society as well. Um, so it's really good. It's only eight episodes, you know, they're, they're like 50 minute episodes. So it's pretty, pretty easy to get through. Um, it's got a lot of really good writing. It's written by the same, a uh, guy that wrote or writes Supernatural. So if you're a fan of Supernatural, you'll like this show as well. Um, but yeah, it's just really good. So I, I definitely recommend it. You know, there's this weird thing that's been going on in, uh, in in the world of... And this is an entire topic for a different episode, if we ever do it, which I kind of don't want to do. But in, in the world of like <laughs> PC exclusivity platforms right now, but between especially Epic Game Store and Steam. Um, mm-hmm. where a lot of people will claim, you know, that's not on my store, so I can't buy it, which is not right, you know? It, like, it, 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 any PC that can run Steam can run the Epic Game Store as well. You just don't like the Epic Game Store, which is fine. You can not like the Epic Game Store. Different point. Anyway, I've, I've never really seen the validity in that argument until a show that everyone is watching is on Amazon. <laughs> mm-hmm. And now it's like, ah, oh, dude, I have to go on Amazon to watch that. <laughs> Yep, exactly. Yeah. It's really weird. I feel it. I okay. I yeah. I'm starting to like. Okay, there, there's something. There's something to it. I don't. Want... <laughs> yeah, it's really weird. Like it's, it's honestly, you know, like I said, it's it's a whole other rabbit hole we could jump down. But it's also just you know, kind of like how it's weird that you know, looking at the industry with you know all these studio acquisitions in the last couple of years. In the last couple of years, how how media has shifted so much towards these streaming services where Netflix. Hulu and now Amazon are making their own like big budget because the boys is like is a very big budget there's a lot of special effects there's you know some notable actors like it's not just some like it's not a show that you'd find on like CW like it's got high studio level you know like uh, Hollywood you know mega blockbuster level special effects and everything so it's just crazy that all of these different companies are now making movies and TV shows and stuff and it's just and you got to have all of the different 
you know, all the subscriptions, and then, you know, Disney Plus is coming out, and then the HBO Max thing is coming out as well. Like, it's just, it's going to be very messy soon. It's going to be messy. Uh, yeah. And, yeah, <laughs> Disney Plus is going to, I think Disney Plus is going to tear stuff up. I, I've, um, I've been waiting to see them make a move that I think is really bad, and I kind of don't think they've done it yet. I think they've actually done all the right stuff that you need to do. In order to yeah, so far service. everything has seemed really good. I mean, because they added it to their, like I think there's a Hulu, ESPN Plus, Disney Plus package you can get for like fifteen bucks or something. You know, they've announced a gazillion different TV shows that are going to be you know set in the MCU and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, it's just that one is going to be nuts. Like honestly, Disney Disney is is honestly getting a little scary just with the amount of of pull that they have on uh pop culture right now it's and they bought 20th century fox as well so it's disney is a is a scary monster yeah they they really are and they're a big scary monster in a way that other things that are that are much bigger than disney like like microsoft google amazon those are way bigger than disney by like orders of magnitude but at the same time um like Disney Plus as a service has kind of had the same uh, timeline as Stadia, Google Stadia, and Google Stadia. Mm-hmm. Like every time they present something, I can point to something and like, ah, you see, there's your mistake. You messed up there. You didn't do that one quite right. And and Disney Plus, I I've not seen anything that's like that bad at all. And and yeah. that kind of goes along with a lot of Disney's stuff. Like none of none of what they've done. In the last few years, aside from some, I have some friends that are like really big fans of the parks. Um, apparently, there's mm-hmm. some weird park stuff going on. But a lot of their big decision making for for their main movies and entertainment and TV shows and stuff and purchases has been really educated and really smart in a way that I think makes them seem a lot scarier. They mm-hmm. they really could they really could take over like any industry that they know enough about. Yeah, I mean, because like you said, in, in in terms of like overall like pull revenue, all that kind of stuff, like you know, Amazon, and Google, just the the depths in which they have their fingers in society are that's a really weird statement. Um, yeah, the depths in which they have things is like it's it's huge. But the way that you know, because Disney has done it through pop culture and through you know that side of of our society, so it seems like they just have the ability to to do so much more if they wanted to you know become skynet and take over the world yeah and especially if you look at like what they do to the things they acquire like the the new star wars stuff that has happened under disney is definitely controversial but the prequel star wars stuff that came out like within the 10 years before the acquisition by disney um was not controversial it was negative um which is i guess worse um and and you like they even even with that even with movies like the force awakens and last jedi which are really split in in, uh public opinion Mm -hmm. that that's got to be so much better than just not being split in public opinion and just being decided to be bad that they've at least improved star wars on that on that level um and, and on that popularity level and they've they've done wonders for marvel and they've they turned what used to be like a second-rate comic book thing that was behind DC in every way uh, into the one of the biggest, like if if not the second or third biggest 
largest media franchise in the world out of like everything mm-hmm. yeah that's been a weird tangent we're still in the after school activities <laughs> those were twin peaks and the boys neither of which have anything to do with disney plus the theme song for this <laughs> podcast has been by jamitar it's the song jerome please subscribe review us on itunes tell a friend uh we grow mostly through word of mouth so anything you can do on that end is great thank you for listening and stay super <laughs> 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 <laughs>